Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. It's an interesting time in economic history. It's an interesting time in the history of work, particularly. Right now, we're making some big decisions about what we want the future of work to look like. And they're big decisions, particularly when it comes to remote work. For the most part, those decisions are based on self-interest. Individuals want what's best for their own lives, and organizations want what will make them most productive, most profitable. But how we work impacts a lot of other things as well. So when we make those decisions, we're also making larger decisions about the environment, about equity, about income distribution. There's a lot at stake. Well, my guest today thinks we need to look at that wider picture, and that if we do that, we'll find that remote work is very much the choice we should be making if we want a sustainable future. His name is Chase Warrington, and he's the head of remote at Doist. You may know them as a company behind productivity software Todoist and Twist. Now, Chase is a true believer, a believer in the wider benefits of remote work and the ways it can help us get to that sustainable future. I had a great conversation with him about all of that. So please stay with us. It is worth listening to. Well, is remote work the key to a sustainable future? My guest today is Chase Warrington. He is head of remote at Doist, and he believes that staying out of the office may be the best thing for the environment and for reaching some larger social goals as well. He joins me now. Hi, Chase. Hey, how's it going? Great to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. I have a lot of questions because this is a really interesting topic, but I always like to start by asking my guests about their own backgrounds, you know, how they ended up doing what they're doing and, you know, what it is about their work that they really like. Sure. Happy to. So I am the, uh, I'm the head of remote at a company called Duos. We're a fully distributed or remote first team, uh, to use another phrase, of about 100 people in 35 different countries. And we've been fully remote for about 15 years now. So uh, we've been at this for a little while, and it's sort of core to our DNA, which is really exciting for me because I've always been very motivated by the idea of remote work. I've uh, I've only worked remotely uh, my entire career, which goes back to about 13 years, and um, I've just always felt like the confines of the office were would hold us back in some ways. Like we should have location independence. We have the technology that can help us achieve that. And when I was in my younger years, that was because I wanted freedom and I wanted to be able to travel and such. And as I've grown up a little bit, I've started to look at some of the other benefits of remote work. And this is something that caught my eye as I started to become more interested in sustainability, uh, was that remote work can actually have a really profound impact on the future of our planet. And uh, so that is something that's become sort of a side project, something that really interests me and is sort of connected to my work. But um, really, really is just what gets me going is making remote work work at scale. Okay, I want to get into all of that. But I just want to pick up on something. You've worked as a remote worker your whole career, and you've liked it, which is interesting because I hear a lot of younger workers say, you know what, this is not cool. I want to be with my colleagues. I need the mentoring. You never found that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I, I do understand that. And I think there's a difference between doing remote and doing it well. And the companies that are doing it well, I've, I've been fortunate to have the experience working with them. It's it's not to say that it's perfect. It's Everything comes with its trade-offs. But um, but for me, that they've it's been a it's been a positive experience. Yes. 
Okay, that's interesting. Well, let's go back to the sustainability and the remote work. When you say sustainability, what are we talking about? So what, what I focused on in this in this piece that brought us together here is the the sustainability goals set out by the United Nations. And so I think when people think about sustainability, they often tend to think about the environment, right? And the first word that comes to your mind is something related to uh, climate change or something like that. And that was, honestly, that was my viewpoint as well. But when you really dive into sustainability and specifically looking at the sustainability goals set out by the UN, they actually break them out into three different tiers. One, the biosphere, which is what we generally tend to think of, the economy and society. And really what sustainability is looking at is the overall well-being of our planet. So it's not just the environment. And so these, these SDGs, as they're called, the sustainability goals, they are 17 individual initiatives that range from ridding us of poverty to climate action to giving people the ability to, uh, to no poverty, things like this. So there's, there's all these different aspects to the SDGs. And I tried to connect remote work where I could to, uh, to show how remote work could have an impact on those individual initiatives. And I think we should be clear that when we set up work as we know it, these were not goals that anyone had in mind, right? It was about what worked in what, the Industrial Revolution or you know, the 1950s or whenever else. So we have this opportunity maybe now to rethink this, right? <laughs> exactly. And it's nice to rethink things every you know century or so, right? For sure. The <laughs> pandemic is maybe pushing us to rethink things a bit more. Okay, so let's take this a bit at a time. If we're talking about the environment, which is where a lot of people are focused right now, Let's just go through the list of why work as we know it doesn't really work with us. <laughs> sure. So, I mean, the first one that people like to go to, and, and actually I, I, I wanted to debunk this as well as, as well as dive into why it is a pro, because the thing that actually caught my eye at first when I first started looking into this was, oh, the obvious impact that we can have as remote workers is we don't commute, right? Yeah. So that's just pulling people off the roads is a good thing. That's, that seems like a no-brainer. And that can be true. There, there's some truth in that. There's some data that backs that up. There's also data that negates that, that says that uh, remote workers will actually end up spending more time in the car because they'll replace that commute with other things such as you know driving the kids to school instead of putting them on the bus or running more, running back and forth to the grocery store more often, things like this. So there is actually data to support both. But the point is, is that there is the element of pulling millions, tens of millions of people off the road from the commute. And most data does show that that is a net positive for us. So this is the first thing that we come to and we say, okay, that, that can be a net positive. There's all these secondary effects though. There's things like, for instance, people that work from home, they tend to eat out less. Eating out less leads to less use of single use plastics. It supports buying locally, uh, things like this. So these have these trickle down effects that can ultimately have a pretty big impact on, on the bottom line. Now, these are really big things when you think about it economy-wide, right? We've set up cities to really embrace workers being on site. So we have restaurants there, we have stores there. You're talking about untangling a lot of things that you know, were, were planned. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, and these are, and, and to be clear, it's not necessarily me pushing people to say, remote is the only way, or this is the only way we can get there. I really think that for us to get to the, the UN sustainability goals, we all kind of have to pitch in our 1%, right? So it's not these sweeping changes, but it's more of these little things that we can do, these little levers that can be pulled that can contribute our 1% to making the world a better place from, from all these different angles. 
What about business travel? I mean, this is something that went away with the pandemic, and I notice it's coming back pretty strongly right now. Where do you think, should we be actively trying to not do that? Or what's the, the solution here? Yeah, business travel is going to peak right now, I think, because you're going to have a lot of teams that haven't been able to see each other, clients that haven't been able to see each other uh, in, in a long time in those in those relationships. And now they're getting back together. I'm, on our team, for instance, generally, we get together one to two times a year. We bring people in from 35 different countries to one place. And we're we're trying to force that to happen very quickly and doing lots of that now that we can finally do it again. But actually, I see, I see a lot of data that shows that overall business travel will probably dip in the long term by about 20%. So, you know, there's there's different data points to back up different facts, but I'm seeing information out there that's that shows us that long term people like us that used to maybe go meet with a client or fly across the country to have a one or two day meeting are going to do those kind of things virtually. So, that could actually have up to a 20% impact on the emissions created by business travel, which is massive. <laughs> when we it look at massive. the overall emissions uh, in, in a day-to-day, it's, it's absolutely massive. I mean, this may be you know, a little bit outside of where your expertise is, but you did talk about the human interaction and bringing your team together. There was a really interesting piece in the New York Times a couple of days ago. You might've seen it about the loneliness epidemic. And for a lot of people, going to work is where they had a human connection. Yeah. Is there... A way, I don't say way around it, but what's the next wave of this? If we're not going to get together, if we're not going to commute and work in one place, how's society going to change? Yeah, I always, I always say, you know, on a on a bit of a micro level, from a organizational standpoint, remote teams have to be very, very intentional if they're going to work at a, at a high level, and especially if they're going to work at scale. And that that can come into play in a lot of different ways in the way you work, but also in the way you interact. And creating that human element is key for remote teams. So a lot of people think remote first or remote uh, a fully distributed team, they think remote only, but that's not that should not be the case. These remote teams that are doing this well and doing it in a sustainable way for the long run are creating intentionally, very intentionally creating human interaction, both in the virtual world and, and synchronously, like, like, you know, on a video call, but also asynchronously, and then taking it a step further going to in real life, in-person events. So I think what has to happen is, is these companies that sort of went through the pandemic and said, okay, we just have to figure out how to do remote work and do it really quickly. The people in those organizations didn't get a wonderful experience. I mean, there was this was a knee-jerk reaction. The next step is moving to a more sustainable approach. And I'm seeing a lot of companies do that, seeing a lot of them not do it as well. But the ones that are they're going about it very intentionally and saying, okay, let's let's make this work for the long term. And a key part of that is creating that human interaction. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's a reskilling process for managers because they weren't trained to manage like this, right? No, and no. it was a band-aid for two years. Okay, so let's assume we get some of this right and we have remote workers. There are other goals when we're talking about sustainability, not just environmental goals, income distribution. I know you've had some views on this one too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things that kind of tugs at the heartstrings a little bit, but you can you can see the impact this has on on individuals and families across the world when you're able to employ someone in a developing country that is has just found the job of their life, the dream a dream dream job that changes their whole trajectory of life um, because you were able to employ them. And these types of jobs were not available available before distributed work. Uh, existed. So it's it's really exciting to see 
this happened. I, I see it on my team on a small scale, but on a grander scale, you're seeing organizations pop up that are supporting people specifically in developing countries and getting them tech jobs uh, for companies back in Silicon Valley. And these people are, are you know, just thrilled to have this, this kind of work. So um, the, the redistribution or the democratization of opportunity is one of the, for me, one of the most exciting aspects of, of remote work. And that's, you know, a really great viewpoint. Although I think as you say that people will hear it and say, wow, are you taking jobs away from North America? Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that is the, the, the fair counter argument, I suppose. Um, from, from my standpoint, I see it as a net positive, uh, the, the redistribution of, of wealth. And I don't think that it is necessarily as big of a, a negative as someone from that standpoint might think. But I, I, I think the, the net positive is, is pretty inarguable, in my opinion. And, you know, presumably it means all jobs don't have to be in San Francisco or New York or Toronto yeah. either, right? It could be <laughs> elsewhere in North America. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, a, that's another element. You know, we, it's very easy to go to, the, to this, the developing country and to look at that case study and say, wow, how amazing you were able to hire somebody from a country where previously they, they had no work at all. And now they're building a, a life for themselves. And that's wonderful. But also right here in our own backyard. I mean, people that previously couldn't afford to commute into a city and live in a big city. Um, so therefore, they were earning less because they had to, to live in a more rural area. Or somebody who previously perhaps went on unemployment and couldn't find a job in a, in a place that had fallen on hard times. Now they get off of unemployment quicker. They get, they get back to work quicker because they can find a job that's outside of their postal code. This has extenuating benefits for the government that gets people off of uh, unemployment. It's, it's helpful for the taxpayers. It stokes economic activity. So these trickle-down effects are, are even more exciting, I think, than some of the headlines that we like to talk about, like getting someone a job in a, in a developing country, for instance. What else can remote work do for us in terms of lifestyle outcomes or equity? Oh, I think I think there's so much. I mean, when we talk about the moving people out of you mentioned moving people out of Silicon Valley, for instance, and in, in major metropolises, there's a lot that when we look at the society aspect, the societal bits of the sustainability goals laid out by the UN, there's a lot of things in there. Like, for instance, I'm gonna I'm gonna read them here. Like, no poverty, zero hunger good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality, uh, sustainable cities and communities. These are all fundamental parts of these goals. And remote work actually can be connected to a lot of them. Take uh, gender equality, for instance. There's actually a lot of data that shows that remote organizations hire and pay females much better than the national average. For instance, only 3% less compared to 20 to 25% less in your traditional S&P 500. So there are things like this where if we want to have the sustainable future that we're looking for alongside these SDGs, we need remote work to, to help get us there. There's a lot of reasons for this, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's one, of the, one of those things that you don't think about when you first start thinking about sustainability. No, it's very interesting. Some people do prefer to be remote because they think there's so much in the office that's not about their work, right? It's about yep. getting along with the boss and going out for drinks and... Everything else, right? Pres presentiality gets gets you paid in the uh, in the office first world. Whereas when you move to a remote first world, it really comes down to your work. Uh, we remote teams care a whole lot less about being present and much more about the deliverables and the outcomes. And when you foster an environment that caters towards that, then you are you're, you're building equity just by osmosis. 
You know, I've watched this process over the last couple of years as somebody who follows work trends really carefully. And I was waiting to see what would happen when it was safe or safer to get back to work. Would companies say, we don't want to do this anymore? Or would they say, we want everybody back? And I've been surprised by how many companies do want people back. Has this yeah. surprised you? It is a bit surprising, I have to admit. I, I thought that uh, I thought there would be more of a a latching on to the remote, uh, the what the benefits of remote. And what I've seen is a, a bit of a knee jerk reaction to some of the negatives. And it, I think it goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. That what happened when companies had to suddenly become remote, they weren't able to do it in a way that was really sustainable. Um, and I'm using sustainable there in a in a different way, yeah. but it, it's uh, it wasn't really sustainable. I mean, these were you're, you're basically converting all your office based best practices to a remote world and a virtual world. And the the key to making remote work at scale is doing the exact opposite of that. You have to pressure test every single process that you're doing and make sure that it's fit for the remote world, not the office world. And they didn't have the time to do that, so it's not. It's not totally surprising that people are reverting back because they had a poor experience, but it is a little bit surprising that the benefit, there weren't some benefits, some strong enough benefits to let them know that, okay, we can make this work if we want to. I think I've seen numbers that show about 75% of companies will reconvert to some sort of hybrid uh, workforce where with most of those employees being in the office. So remote becomes the the uh, the outlier again, which is which is a bit strange to me. I don't. I mean, personally, I think it'll be a back and forth because it's an outlier until the company in San Francisco finds the right person to work for them, and that person's in Germany or somewhere else, and they say yes, that's what we, who we want to hire. So I don't think it's over. I don't know what you think. How it will go over the next few years? I, I totally agree. I I just hope that the the companies converting to a hybrid mentality will put some emphasis on creating an equitable experience for people that are both remote and in office and trying to create one that is location agnostic so that everybody, whether you're in the office or you're in Germany on the other side of the world, um, you're getting the exact same experience. I think that's the key to making hybrid work if, if, if that's the route you're going to go. And how important do you think it'll be the next few years, the equity considerations, the environment considerations? Will it be lost in you know, a larger con- conversation about getting back to normal? Or do you think once we're beyond the pandemic, which is hopefully soon, you know, this, these things will become more important? I really hope that it doesn't get lost. I think there's such great benefits for, for remote work. I think when we talk about the, the family, you know, something we didn't even get into when we talk about society so is, is the family dynamics and the flexibility mm-hmm. that it provides. When I talk to remote workers, new, new parents, mothers and fathers who are suddenly able to have more control over their day, spend time with their kids, uh, work their lives around, work their work around their lives a little bit more than the reverse. Um, the, the positive effects this has on the, on the family dynamics is incredible. So I'm hopeful that this won't get lost and that people will stay focused on, on the pros and what this can bring and work through some of the growing pains. Um, th- that's what my, I've got my fingers crossed for at least. I do as well. Chase, so thanks so much for talking to me today. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Chase Warrington is head of remote work at Doist. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Chase and his company, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at Relentless Eco. 
Now, if you did like this conversation about remote work and the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or review where you get your podcasts. That's how people find podcasts and people can find us. We can keep these discussions going. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work in the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.